is Strictly John Keith. Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. Hello, I'm John Keith and welcome to Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. Now, in this computer-driven technological age, it's the norm for the written word to be put online for people to browse on screen. But my two guests, having established a superb website, have done the opposite by transferring its mountain of information into a wonderful book titled The Liverpool Encyclopedia and it'll be high on many Christmas gift lists. It's a warm welcome to the authors, Iceland duo Arnie Balderson and Goodmunder Magnuson. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you. Thank it's you. a welcome back, of course, because uh, you've been on earlier, which you're, um, you did an earlier book about Liverpool, which was equally uh, font of all knowledge, really, wasn't it? Which was a season-by-season season book. Yes, yeah, the, co- the complete record bo- book the was... The record, a, yeah. Yeah, it was... was it, it was a book full of stats, if you could say, yes. say it that well, way. Yes, well, it was, yeah. yeah. And uh, it is now sold out f- from the publisher, so it's it's gone really well. Well, I guess that's become a bible for Liverpool fans, and yeah. I'm sure this will because um, it's just incredible. I have to say though, it does it should come with a health warning because if you drop it, <laughs> uh, you would break your toe. And you, one of you, told me you know the weight of it, don't yeah, you? Yeah, it's, it's two point two kilo. <laughs> well, there you are. I think that proves a point. Now. It's a large format tome, 650 pages, 420,000 words, which I think will answer more questions about Liverpool than uh, people have questions. But um, I mentioned in the intro that you two have got this terrific website, well, amongst others, I know, lfchistory.net. So why, why commit it to print? What was the reason, Arnie? Well, uh, it's a big question. Um we wanted to uh, basically uh, go delve, dive deeper into the history of Liverpool Football Club, and and yes, and in a way, uh, uh, internet can be a bit superficial, and it it's, and I think a lot of our material because it's we don't just do stats, we also do I love stories mainly. Indeed, yeah. And uh, trying to find out about the players, uh, you know, more information than than is known. So. Um, so I think it presents itself much better in in a, in a book actually, mm-hmm. and it has also eleven hundred images, which of many of Very good many point. of uh, mm-hmm. many of those have never been seen that's before. That's right. That's right. So, uh, my favorite one is of the from nineteen twenties. The the players are lined up in front of the cop. I've never seen that before. No, I haven't seen that either. That's the first time. In fact, there's a lot in the book. I mean, I've been. As you know, I've been covering Merseyside football for more years than I care to remember or admit to. But there are stories in the book I didn't know. So, um, And another thing about making a book of it, of course, is that a lot of people, particularly you know, of a certain age, they're not, um, they're not really happy or they're not really used to going online, are they? So if they can get a book which has got all the stuff in it, you're catering for them as well, aren't you? Yeah, it's a good point. They're not computer savvy, if you will. Exactly, and, uh, yeah. They're much like better to handle a book than a, than a keyboard, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think I think the words exhaustively comprehensive I would use to uh, describe your book because it gives full biographical information on every player. And this is the point. It's every player to make a competitive Liverpool appearance since the club's formation in 1892, right up to July this year. Now, have you any idea the number of players? 
it's around I think 650. 650. Which is surprisingly, I mean, most people are surprised that there are not more players, but mm. it's about 650. And of course, even if somebody just made one, as I say, they're yeah. in the book. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a mammoth task. And I think you said, uh, Arnie, that um, there were certain lines of research you'd never used before to um, do this book. You, you, you went down unexplored avenues, didn't you? Yeah, we found uh, the, what pleased me the most was finding uh, uh, articles written by Alice Raisbeck, who was. Uh, Alex Raisbeck. Was Labels captain from 1898 until 1910, so he's been called Liverpool's first superstar, basically. Yes. yes. So he was the he was a exceptional centre half, but he was um, uh, more akin to a midfielder, I guess, in modern terms. So he was he was uh, driving the, the attacks as well as the yeah. as well as defending like like a madman, like they said, <laughs> um, yeah. and. Uh, we had very precious, you know, very very little known about uh, the first decades of Liverpool, you know, in terms of personal stories and and and, and how the club worked, and we had never heard any quote from Raceback. But what I found in these articles, which was uh, was uh, we discovered after a, like uh, investigation that Sherlock Holmes would probably be proud of then. <laughs> Uh, it was basically 15 articles, and he was just telling his life story in a Scottish newspaper from 1915. Uh, and you found this presumably in their archives, did you? Yeah, I found it. Yeah, in a library in uh, Dundee, and they sent sent them over to us. And um, it it was a, like a treasure trove, really. He was talking about his compatriot, you know, his uh, teammates, and who was the joker in the pack and, and the tricks they were playing on the yeah, coaches yeah, and on the yeah. other players. So it's like a Pandora's box. It just opens up a whole new source of information, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, just what we like to do in the book is go under the surface, really. So it's not just you'll see a player called Alice Raceback and you'll, OK, he played in that many games and scored that many goals, exactly. but you will learn something about his character yeah. and, and uh, exactly. discover stories that... You'd never thought, you know, possible. It brings them to life, basically, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, he, like, he was the captain, and everybody thinks, you know, he was a. But in fact, he he didn't really want to be the captain. He didn't. No, no. He he said he went to the management a few times and asked to be relieved of his captaincy, and they told him to scram off. You know, it just. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. He yeah. said that they used very unkind words when they were telling him to. <laughs> Perhaps he felt it affected his game, the responsibility. Yeah, and he wasn't, I don't, in a strange way, he wasn't very much, didn't want to be in the spotlight. And when they won the league in 1901, they uh, they wanted him to speak when they were, they were uh, coming back to Liverpool. And and uh, he didn't want to speak, he was hiding, you know. He was, was he really? Yeah, he was. I think it was in 1901 rather than 1906. Sounds quite a, quite a modest, humble character, doesn't he? Yeah, just let his game do his talking for him. Yeah, he said the best thing he did was ever to do was to sign for Liverpool. He was supposed to sign for Stoke. He was on loan at Stoke in uh, test matches, as they called, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. to avoid relegation. We played like uh, in a in a group kind of way, uh, four games at the end of the season. But uh, the Stoke secretary, as it was called then, the manager, he didn't turn up, and Tom Watson heard. That he was around and, and uh, signed him, and yeah. he said Tom Watson was like a father to him. So 
father figure. Right, right. Well, as I said, it's a voyage of discovery, this book. And to give you an example, if someone had asked me about a Gillespie playing for Liverpool, I'd say, right, Gary Gillespie, fine Scottish centre-back. But I learn on page 217, there's another Gillespie who played for the club. Gillespie, I think. Uh, Yeah, with an unusual spelling, spelled G-I-L-H-E-S-P-Y. And he had 19 outings for Liverpool, spread over four seasons. So it was very thinly spread his appearances and two of them championship years between 21 and 25 and he played for and 23 yeah but but his his uh, span was between 21 and 25 yeah and they were one of seven liverpool one of seven league clubs he played for so things like this you know i mean uh, i'm sure that round the christmas tree people will have this book and they'll be quizzing each other uh, how many gillespies play for liverpool and how do you spell their name stuff like this you know you must be very pleased about the effect this book's going to have I think yeah I hope so <laughs> yeah I mean I don't yeah I would like to be a fly on the wall and <laughs> see 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 what people are up to with the book but I mean uh, I think the crux of what you're saying is that you can really dive into the book anywhere you like and, and you yes. can find multitudes of things I really want it to be very rich you know well well exactly yeah full of great Images and, and great stories, hopefully. And I suppose, given the number of players clubs do sign at the moment in, in, in today's football, I suppose maybe in five, seven, ten years you'll be updating this, won't you? Because yeah. every year there'll be new players that's, arriving. That's, that's very likely. Or will you do a companion volume, maybe? Yeah. Well, we're, we're going to do the, the first book, the complete record book, again next year. So, oh, right. So, yeah. yes. We're going to update that one, so, you know, maybe this in a few, few years we'll, we'll do that uh, one again. And yeah. And now, of course, as well as the book and as well as the uh, Liverpool History website, you've also got separate websites on Bill Shankly, Bob Paisley and Billy Little, haven't you? Yeah, that's right. Three of the greatest names Liverpool have had in their long history. Uh, and, and that's superb because um, they don't come greater than those three, do they? They don't. That's presumably why you... You've did separate websites for those that distinguished trio. Well, there's a bit of a history behind it, uh, especially regarding the Shankly and, and Bob Paisley websites that they were actually created by uh, another director. 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 Yeah. Yes, I know yeah, Derek. Yeah. yeah, he created those two about what ten ten years ago, I think, or even longer. Two thousand one, ninety nine, or something. Yeah. Like yeah. And well, he got he got. You know, bored with those websites and all that in 2004 or five, I think. He got disillusioned, I yeah. think, by yeah. Liverpool and the uh, modern football. football. Oh, did he? Yeah. Basically. yeah. So, so we bought those two websites off him and and ah. and redid them and been updating them and and and, right. and kept kept them alive right. instead of promising, you know, to keep them. You know, he trusted us with them. You know? Great, good for him. Yeah. Well, he couldn't have made a better decision, could he? Yeah. Really? Well. One of them, of course, Bill Shankly, was the man who uh, rescued Liverpool from mediocrity, transformed them. And here's the man, when he arrived, outlining his uh, his plan for Liverpool. My idea was that to build Liverpool into a bastion of invincibility, you know, like Napoleon had that idea. He would conquer the bloody world, you know. And that's what I wanted, that Liverpool would be untouchable. Uh, because the people are, are they're that kind of people. They're, you know, they're arrogant, they're cocky, they're proud, everything. And that's what I wanted the team to be. So that the team and the people would be the same. And, and uh, yes, uh, my idea was to build Liverpool up and up and up until eventually they would uh, 
Everybody would have to submit. Given. Everyone would have to submit. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, when you hear those... he What a wonderful orator he was. I mean, it's not just the words. It's the way they're delivered, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It really is. It's wonderful stuff. Now, another feature which impressed me of the book, it's fact that the A to Z entries are not restricted to players. You've featured statistical entries, the Anfield Stadium itself, separate entries on the boys' pen and the cop, and a fascinating piece about Liverpool's first season of 1892-93. And you point out the most common line-up that season was all Scottish and Liverpool were known as the Team of Max, recruited by the club's founding father, John McKenna. And you've unearthed, I don't know whether... I've never seen, Now, this is another one of the brand-new things, new to me, I'm sure, to most people. A wonderful extract from the Leicester Chronicle and Mercury, quoting John McKenna's successor, uh, Tom Watson, who says, and this is in the newspaper... Uh, my hunting for men has been that of a football secretary anxious to secure the best kickers for his club. Then it meant forays into Scotland, conducted at the risk, if not of life, at any rate of limb. The English football agent was received pretty much as an English army of invasion. Used to be received in the olden times, for the Scots were thoroughly roused against the poaching of their best football players by southern clubs, and they were not sparing of the horse pond or rotten eggs when they caught the hated Sassanac poacher. Now that sums up wonderful images of these secretary managers daring to cross the border and bringing players back. It's a wonderful image, Arnie, isn't it? Yeah, as you say, it, it was a risky business. <laughs> yeah, to go across the border, north of the border, and, and try to um, get those. I guess it they were cheaper and they were yeah. uh, not as much, you know, professional terms. Yeah. So but this Scottish connection, sorry, yeah, uh, this Scottish connection has lasted um, right down the years. I remember the old chairman, Sir John Smith, saying, "Liverpool win nothing without Scots." No. And, and he's virtually been right. There have been the odd exception that proves the rule, but there's a huge Scottish connection between, uh, with Liverpool, isn't there? Yeah, it's lasted well until the and 1990s. Yeah, that we had a strong contingent, Scottish mm. contingent. Mm. I mean, of course, we had you know the team of the Max, and then uh, all through Little, yes. of course, and then uh, we John, had Dalglish, and, yeah, Stevenson, yeah, St John Yates, Tommy and Lawrence. Ron Yates, yeah, wonderful. Uh, uh, Gary McAllister, I guess, would be the yeah, last one major. of the recent. Yeah, but they'll be back, I'm sure, because Scotland as an international team under Gordon Strachan seem to be just turning the corner again, don't they? Yeah, well, yeah, I think they have to do the uh, yeah. maybe copy Iceland in the way yeah. that our well, team is surprisingly good. Well, yes, I may I congratulate uh, you on that. Yes, to how small we are, and, and I think Scotland could do well with copying our. our Indeed oh, yeah, they could. Well, I'm talking to Icelandic duo Arnie Balderson and Goodmunder Magnusson about their fabulous new book, The Liverpool Encyclopedia. I'll be talking more to them and hearing more wonderful clips after this break. Don't go away. This is Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. Hello, I'm John Keith and welcome back to Strictly John Keith on City Talk. 105.9. My studio guest, Icelandic authors Arnie Balderson and Gudmunda Magnusson, talking about their super new book, The Liverpool Encyclopedia, a must as a Christmas present. As I said before, we uh, uh, in, in the last segment, we, um, we were talking about the fact that it's not just an A to Z of players. 
You've got um, you've got so many other things in the book. Now, of course, no history of Liverpool is complete without major features on their two greatest managers. We have, we've heard from Bill Shankly earlier, uh, and Bob Paisley, of course, is the other one. And Shankly, because of his feet in, as we said earlier, he wasn't just a manager. He was um, he was like a knight on a white charger, wasn't he? Because he he rescued Liverpool from utter mediocrity. I mean, I remember Liverpool pre Shankly. The ground was in a dreadful state. It was uh, crumbling, and when Shankly arrived, he called it a slum. Uh, and I don't think he was. That wasn't just hyperbole. I think it was. So I suppose you have to rate Bill Shankly not only on trophies he won because other managers have won more, but on on what he achieved in cha- transforming the club. Do you agree with that, Arnie? Yeah, obviously. Uh, we, we've talked to uh, a lot of the players from the sixties, and and the universal love they have for him is 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 there to be witnessed. Yeah. And uh, and he revitalized players like you know he uh, Ronnie Moran and uh, and uh, he people like Roger Hunt was lucky to uh, he was I think he was he, he breaking was, through when he, when he yes, when he, he arrived. Was. Ian Callaghan was already there. Yeah. Chris Lawler was already there. But Chris but Eddie Byrne got uh, his opportunity. Instead of he was rotting away in the reserves business. He was transfer listed when Shanks yeah. arrived and the, one of the first things he did was take him off the transfer list. Yeah, That was a good decision, wasn't it? Yeah, I would say so. The, the hero the of the 1965 FA Cup final. Yeah, I had the uh, pleasure of interviewing him once and you know he, he let me touch his collarbone, which is still, you can feel a break there. Yes, he's been on the show and he, uh, he, he, he <laughs> let me feel his collarbone yeah, because he, just to remind people who mightn't know, he was injured in the seventh minute of the 1965 FA Cup final and it was a fractured collarbone. He also hurt his leg in that challenge by Bobby Collins as well, but he had fractured his collarbone. And he played not only for the 90 minutes, but right through half hours extra time and laid on one of the goals. They even had to stop him taking throw-ins because obviously <laughs> Leeds would find out he couldn't uh, lift his arm. So, um, and they kept it hidden from Leeds, which was a wonderful thing to do, wasn't it, really? Yeah, well, well what Shankly said, there was uh, raw courage from the boy. Raw courage. Uh, he's not a man of many words, Jerry, but, but very well-chosen words. And he said, uh, they call me the crunch. And he waited for the player to come, and then he went in for the tackle, and he, you could hear crunch. Yes. So that's why he was nicknamed yeah. the Crunch. He was well, a tough guy. Well, Shank said um, he should have got all the medals himself. All the medals from '65 should have gotten to him. He said his yeah. um, his collarbone was split and grinding together. You know, typical. You can you can almost hear the bones grinding together when he says it. And um, yeah, he was an amazing man, was Jerry. Well, of course, both men. Uh, Shankly and Paisley loom large in uh, the picture montage on your book's cover. Um, and in the book as well, as we say, it's not just players. There's a feature on the Anfield anthem, You'll Never Walk Alone. Uh, so what better, and this is a lovely clip, this is from Bill Shankly's own Radio City show in 1975, and it starts with the song You'll Never Walk Alone, then goes into his conversation with the man who recorded it, which is Jerry Marsden. Fascinating clip. If you've never heard it before, boys, listen to this. Walk
Jerry, that's the song which became the cop anthem. It became an inspiration to Liverpool Football Club. And of course, there's only one man for me that can sing it, and that's Jerry Marsden, you. <laughs> Thank you, Bill, and nice to be on your show. <clears throat> it's a great pleasure for me to be with Shanks again. It's really good. <laughs> I think it, the best it, thing it, about Walk Alone, Bill, for us was when we recorded it. Yeah. It was only played at Anfield three times, and the next time we went to the match, the whole cop was singing it. And the goose pimples I got were incredible. But, but, but I still get goose pimples when they sing it. Well, it's brilliant. I mean, I've, I've got even, uh, I've got Maria Lanza singing it, you know, and that record Carousel. Yeah. And there's a lot of songs before it, so I lift the, the handle over to the, you know, walk alone. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear anything else. But I hear Jerry Martin singing it. Oh, I God mean, bless despite Lanza. <laughs> uh, he wasn't a bad singer, really. Good in but, his day, uh, Bill. He didn't have a football team to follow. That, that particular team, Jerry, you're talking about, I mean, in the city, uh, it was Jerry Marsden, You'll Never Walk Alone, there was the Beatles. In the 60s, the, yeah. In the 60s, there were, there were all the boys coming through, and there was the Cup, there was Liverpool winning the second division, and the first division, and the Cup. I mean, and the whole place was buzzing, and Liverpool was famous. It's always been famous, of course, but uh, I mean, I thought that was the, the most amazing time for the city. Then the whole of the, the, the Great Britain adopted You'll Never Walk Alone, and where you went, you would go to Celtic Park, Rangers Ground, uh, and you could hear the song, you can hear it in the television and the match of the day, uh, uh, little uh, efforts of people trying to... But it to doesn't sound as good as when the cops sing it. No, They no, sing it at best, no, though. No, 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 the cop... <laughs> no. Knockout. <laughs> they, 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 the cop, I mean, they, they're in a class by themselves. But th this is the whole thing, Jerry, that you are from Liverpool, I'm not. But I'm just as much a, a, a scouser as you are. I should think so, if not yeah. more so. Bill, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Because I know the boys in the team and I've known them for many years. Yeah. And I forget the lads to tell me one story about you and you were playing five-a-side and Chrissy Lawler <laughs> was the referee. And uh, you were playing the offside rule in five-a-side. <laughs> and you scored a goal and Chrissy said, uh, no, all the team said, boss, you're offside. And you said, yeah. eh, no, never. Yeah. So Chrissy said nothing. You said, Chris, come here. And Chris came across and yeah. she said, Chrissy was outside. Yeah. And he said, well, boss, I'm afraid you were. Yeah. And you said, uh, Chrissy, you don't speak very much, but when you do, you tell lies. <laughs> was that no, true? <laughs> I, I said, this is absolutely true. I said, it's the first time I've heard you speak in 11 years and you've told a lie. He's <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I quiet, I, I couldn't I really it. tell you the, the sound of his voice <laughs> after 15 years with him. It's another input. It was it was one of the nicest fellas I ever met in my life. Yeah, I like an amazing fella. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you candidly, a possible only human being alive that's got no enemies. <laughs> it's true. Chris Lawler, one of the story. one of the brilliant boys. Him and Tommy Smith from the Tommy. very early days. Yes. Tommy, yes. a different character altogether, yeah. but they both got the same kind of heart of gold. Oh, wonderful! Yeah. There's one question here, which I mean, the word retires in it, of course. When uh, do you hope to retire? See, you, the age of 40, I mean, I've retired from, from, from Anfield, yeah. not from football. Completely. I was gonna, just going to say that. No, not from football, football completely. No, no way no, can no, you no, retire. No, no, no. no, no. I mean, it's like asking God retire, to be, retire from religion. Retire is a terrible, silly word and should be stricken from the record. I'm yeah. sorry I mentioned it, really. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Because, I mean, they need to get another word in the dictionary for it. I mean, the only time you retire to me is when you're It's when you're box. dead, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and the flowers come out, yeah. you know. <laughs> Well, wasn't that absolutely unbelievable stuff, Arnie and Goodmunder? I could listen to it forever again. Just I know. Have the rest of the show. Amazing. It's captivating stuff, isn't it? It really yeah. is. Uh, lovely stuff about Chris Lawler, who is a super guy. He's in our 
show, the Bill Shankly story, and he's a lovely, lovely guy. And he's become a wonderful laid-back comedian now. Shankly wouldn't recognise him on stage now because he, he tells lovely stories with the delivery of a, one of the great old-time American comics, you know. But um, interesting there, Bill talking about retirement should be stricken from the dictionary, and yet that's exactly what he did, isn't it? It's a, there's a great contradiction there, isn't there, Arnie? Well, he, he uh, I think he, um, he, signed, he signed his last contract in 71. Uh, yeah. And he was given that, uh, th- you know, three-year contract and, and given the option of, during that uh, time yeah. from the signing of the contract to, uh, like, yeah. a one-year option or something like that. Yeah. And in the end, he didn't take no. up that option. No. So he chose not to renew his contract. That's right. So that's strictly what he did. Yeah, but I mean, he he effectively retired, didn't he? Because he never had another uh, full-time job after Liverpool. No, I guess uh, he probably immediately regretted it. I he mean, live without football, and and yeah. I don't think his uh, believe Karen said he didn't see any more of his family really than he did when he was. No, because he used to go to watch games, and um, he, uh, Terry Darracott, who was at Everton, used to take him to. Uh, a lot of matches and things like this. It was a very, very strange time, and he admitted privately that he did regret the decision he'd taken. But I suppose with all great men, there's always an air of mystery, isn't there? And uh, there certainly is a mystique about Shanks. And, of course, if Shanks had stayed on, would we have ever seen Bob Paisley, who we will talk about in the next segment, because he was just amazing. You've got major features on both these men, 19 trophies in nine seasons, Bob Paisley. It's staggering, Arnie, isn't it, Goodmunder? Yeah, it is. It's amazing. Amazing. For yeah. a man who didn't want the job? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever meet Bob, either of you? No. 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 Yeah. I, I'm born in 71. and Ah, right, yeah. And he's yeah. younger than me, so it's... Yes, well... But his record's there for all to see, and we'll we'll hear his voice later. I'm talking to Arnie Balderson and uh, Goodmunder Magnusson about their lovely book... The Liverpool Encyclopedia will be talking more after this break. Don't go away. This is Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. Hello, I'm John Keith and welcome back to Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. My studio guests, Arnie Balderson and Goodmunder Magnusson, authors of a terrific new book, the Liverpool Encyclopedia. And um, one of the entries in the book, gents, is uh, The Boot Room, which, of course... uh, what a wonderful institution that became in the history of Liverpool Football Club. Um, I had the pleasure of being in it. You had to be invited to go and you couldn't just walk in. And it, uh, it, it actually stank. There were no windows. There was a carpet on the floor which was about 50 years old. There were pin-up pictures on the wall from 30 years earlier. Uh, there was something about racing on the wall from 10 years earlier. And skips where people sat on, and yet it became this incredible nerve centre of Liverpool Football Club from which all their great um, forays into European and domestic football were planned. And I'm glad to see in your book you don't fall into the very popular misconception that Shankly started it, because he didn't, as you know. It was Joe Fagan and Bob Paisley who started it. Um, so I guess that was, um, that was an entry that you enjoyed putting in, Arnie. Yeah, definitely. It's it's uh, it's uh, those were uh, clever guys around because they they invited uh, rivals into the boot room and then they, uh, they did. cleverly uh, 
brought from uh, you know uh, got some information about which players they promising promising players they had at their club and yeah it seemed very superficial chit chat but in fact it wasn't it was very uh, organized it was and they would, they'd also use it as a debriefing thing after uh, after matches they'd meet on a sunday morning after a saturday match and just discuss how things went and compare notes and opinions and uh, it would be a wonderful part of the Anfield tour, but it's tragic, really, that it was torn down. And yeah, yeah, and again, there's another misconception. Graham soon has got the blame, but it was nothing to do with no, Graham. It happened it was... while he was manager, but they were planning a refurbishment of the club, which was nothing to do with Graham. So. Turning into a press room, right, or something. Yeah, like it's that. now it's now where the press room is now. Yeah, I don't think uh, soon has really had any anything to do. No, with he it. didn't. No, he didn't. No, no. And, of course, uh, for those who might know how it did begin, it was um, a man called Paul Orr, O-double-R, later Lord Mayor of Liverpool. He used to run Guinness Export Football Team and uh, he used to bring his players to Anfield for Bob Paisley and Joe Fagan to treat, which they did. Um, and uh, Paul was rather... Uh, he was very appreciative of this, so as a method of saying thank you, he organised for uh, crates of uh, Guinness to be delivered to Joe and Bob. So <laughs> they're at a loss when that where are we gonna store these? So Joe, smoking Joe with his cigarette, said, Well we'll stick hey lad, we'll we'll stick him in the boot room with the boots. And that's how it began. And so they're all these crates with us. So they used to go in for a drink and um the thing began like that, purely by accident. But the great things sometimes start like that, don't they? Yeah, it's also a Reminds me of a story about Jeff Twentyman, who was the later great scout, that he used Guinness at half time. He drank Guinness to Jeff, yeah, to be you know, yeah, stronger at uh, stronger in the second half. So that was means of <laughs> getting his strength back. That, that, that's half-time. right. Well, yeah, that's right. Guinness was renowned for um, for being uh, not not quite a medicine, but it used to fortify people, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think it would be uh, if somebody opened up a beer can in the half time now nowadays. <laughs> I think it would be probably not I well know. be frowned upon. Yeah, or, or we. Were, I was talking to somebody else uh, this week about smoking in football. Yeah. Up to the end of the seventies, a lot of players smoked. Yeah, you know, and and they actually smoked outside the dressing room door. Um, I mean, it, it just would be unheard of now. It's a, so it is amazing how football has been transformed, probably only since the Premier League began. I would think. Yeah, it's it's strange. It's become like a, like a, the players don't actually exactly publicise that they smoke. No, I mean Didi Haman smoked. And yes. he said that other players he didn't name names because he didn't want to really. But, no. but um, yeah. yeah, I guess. Uh, and of course, we've had the story recently of Jack Wiltshire at Arsenal, which yeah. caused a few. Yeah, 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 exactly. It was a big thing. Yeah, yeah so Kyle Walker was even yeah. not smoking. Yeah. He was well, also. Berbatov smokes a lot. Yeah, he's known for smoking. Oh, Berbatov. No, yeah, he's a big smoker. Everyone knows. Perhaps that's why he's slow sometimes. Or he seems slow, doesn't he? Well, I, I know mean, his brain's working, but you know, I always think with him, why didn't he get a move on, you know? He's, uh, yeah, he's very careless on the field. Yeah, he's obviously got a great deal of skill and talent, but I just, I always think it could have been could have been, and could be put to better use than he, he actually does, but that's only my opinion. Another man who's talking about 
Jeff and his Guinness. Albert Stubbins, uh, who is a lovely, lovely man, a great, as you know, Liverpool centre-forward, he told me that uh, in their day, when Bob Paisley was playing Billy Little, they used to get sherry. They were given sherry by the uh, trainer to fortify. They'd often have before a match uh, sherry and egg. Right before a match? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, about an hour before the match. A sherry and egg and a glass to drink, yeah. And on other days, he said, on some cold days, they would get a nip of whiskey. And I think even Tommy Smith, um, even even up to his day, I think he's told me that they would often get a nip of whiskey uh, before they went out, uh, even though Shanks, of course, was a teetotaler. Obviously, these habits, and that would have been evident in Shanks' day as a player, obviously they carried through, I would imagine. That's how it's happened. Um, well, we talked about Shankly. Let's talk about Bob Paisley, because what he achieved is... Is absolutely unbelievable. We said in the last segment, 19 trophies in nine seasons. And Bob was asked of the plethora of silverware he brought to the Anfield sideboard. What was his greatest memory? And this is what he said. Oh, without a doubt, that's got to be the first European Cup success in Rome. Everything went right there. Rome was always one of my special places. I've been there during the war and that, and the, the type of weather that they have in the summer and that lends itself to liking it too and uh, the the whole setting of the cup the stadium was packed and, and everyone was there to enjoy themselves the germans and the liverpool people everyone that was there were going to enjoy that it was it was you could see this lending itself to good behavior in that and then the performance that the players had uh, to win the trophy for the first time and the first time that Liverpool had ever won it was a very proud moment and that's got to be the highlight one off tackled brilliantly by Callaghan out to Highway on the near side Callaghan still running making the overlap down the right Highway cutting inside trying to get it on his left foot a great ball to McDermott the shot and McDermott has got it Liverpool won Borussia Mönchengladbach nil oh a great move inspired by McDermott carried on by Callaghan and finished off clinically by Terry McDermott Borussia keeping possession and keeping possession well although Ian Callaghan was in there again very quickly but the ball knocked back by Case into Simonson's path oh what a great shot and Simonson has made it 1-1 well that really was a vicious shot by this Danish international forward well that was a mistake I think by Jimmy Case harshly punished by Borussia Simonson makes the scores one all and that has silenced the cop for the first time in this match. Corner then for Liverpool. Chipping it in. Hit it uh, low and hard. There's Smith. Oh, it's Tommy Smith. 2-1 to Liverpool. Well, fairy tales don't come more extraordinary than this. Tommy Smith, his 600th game for Liverpool. His last game for Liverpool. And he could have won the European Cup for them. Keegan, though, takes on Vokes and beats him. Keegan's still going. Could he get the shot in? It's a penalty. Vokes. Well, it, that was inevitable, the way Bertie Vokes has been marking Kevin Keegan. And it's a penalty. Phil Neal against Wolfgang Nieb. Eight minutes to go in the European Cup final. Here he goes, right-footed. It's there. Neal has made it 3-1. Liverpool have won the European Cup, surely. Rome in 77 was a wonderful landmark, wasn't it, gents, in Liverpool history? The first European Cup win, first of five, Arnie. Yeah. Uh, sort of uh, 
Well, uh, Shankly uh, could have won the European Cup, I guess, uh, even had been for that. In 65. Dishonest refereeing in, yes, in, in Milan. Dreadful, yes. Uh, so, uh, but but uh, Yates said that uh, Ron Yates said that Paisley was probably a bit more clever, went a bit more clever about the European matches. That Shankly was more gung ho, but yeah. Paisley was a bit more tactical. Uh, he, he was, I think, he was more sophisticated uh, yeah. as a tactician than Bill. Ian Callaghan, who played for both of them, of course, um, he seems to play for everybody. Ian Callaghan is an amazing mm. man. He said that Shankly was the greatest motivator he's ever known and Bob Paisley the greatest tactician. Yeah, Paisley wasn't the greatest orator. Or, or no, but I think he, he knew so much that yeah. he, he didn't have to be. He told them he told them the tactics and, and he, he would mark out opponents to be dangerous. And so he, he mapped it out for them, whereas Shanks built them up and I think they ran out on a surge of adrenaline, didn't they really, with Bill behind them. So they were very different, Goodmunder, weren't they? I agree. And what, what, what I, I, I've been reading a bit uh, recently about how Bob Paisley was, you know, picking the players, and when he was, you know, scouting and and and, and buying new players, and and in a way he wasn't. His plan was maybe, you know, get together plenty of good footballers, and they will find a way. Yeah. They were they, they weren't really detailed tactics as we know today. But they, they figured it out. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, he was certainly an amazing man, Bob Paisley. And of course, the man, the man who followed him, uh, wasn't bad either, because Joe Fagan um, actually became the first manager in English football history to win a treble, which I'm afraid is almost gets airbrushed out of the football records. And he did it 15 years before Alex Ferguson did it. Uh, and Joe, um, Joe did it, of course, uh, in 1984, and it was concluded with a wonderful penalty shootout win in Rome on their own ground over Roma, and of course the winner was the man who'd won it for Bob in 1981, Alan Kennedy, and here's Alan Kennedy's penalty shootout winner in 1984. And it's Alan Kennedy, the man who scored their European Cup final winner in Paris three years ago who has the responsibility and the chance to win the giant trophy for them once again. Now Kennedy took some penalties in that pre-season tournament in Rotterdam back in August and I hate to tell you this but he missed them both. I felt confident, uh, I didn't particularly have a good game but I really honestly felt confident uh, taking the penalty because uh, I'd had uh, a little bit of a practice on the uh, Monday at Melwood and uh, I put it in the same spot then, and the goalkeeper didn't get that. So, and to be honest, I was confident, even though the rest of the lads were slightly doubtful uh, that I was going to hit, even hit the target. A European Cup final winner in Paris three years ago. Now, can he score another from the penalty spot? Left footed, strikes it, he scored! Alan Kennedy has won the European Cup for Liverpool again! Well, there's a, a rather uh, joyous Clive Tilsley there, recalling that great moment. Uh, in 1984, Alan Kennedy, yeah. 
And talking, as we were earlier, about Bill Shankly, why not buy a Christmas gift with a difference? Tickets for our next production of the Bill Shankly story. It's at the superb new Atkinson Theatre, Lord Street, Southport, on Friday, February the 7th. I'll be joined on stage by a batch of Shankly's legendary players, including Ian Callaghan, Ian St John and Chris Lawler. A ticket, £16, with £13 concessions from the box office, all by calling 01704 533333. The book we've been talking about is Liverpool, the Liverpool Encyclopedia. My guests have been Arnie Balderson and Goodmunder Magnusson. The book is now available in the shops. It's printed and published by De Coubertin Books, and it's a must. So, gentlemen, Arnie and Goodmunder, thank you very much for being my guests. And from those two Icelandic gentlemen, from myself, John Keith, from this edition of Strictly John Keith, goodbye. Strictly John Keith. City Talk 105.9.